When Judas had left them, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and God will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus I give you a new commandment, love one another, as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This line is so often shared within, well, many different wedding masses. It's a favorite among those and many people, among many people's favorite. And it, it does sound so pleasant, so sweet, and it is. It is one of those beautiful passages where we see our Lord before his path passion, share with his disciples his own heart, his own being, and his own desire for them to follow him. And I wonder what the disciples called to mind at this moment, whenever he tells them, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. They may at that moment have called to mind the different ways in which they saw our Lord, who is love incarnate, interact with people throughout the gospel. They, of course, probably would have noticed that, of course, he accepts. He sees people and accepts them where they currently are. I think especially of, you know, the passage of the adulterous woman, a woman brought before our Lord who's been caught in a grave sin. And our Lord in that moment does accept her as she is. He does see her for who she is, sees her as a daughter, just as he sees even each and every one of us, even in our sin, as a son or daughter, by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of simply being associated with him. But I think while this is immensely true, we should never forget then too, our Lord always follows that acceptance up with a desire to push further, to say, I see you. I see the pain that your sin has led you to. I see the travail that having tried to live life on your own terms has led you to the pain, the sorrow, and the suffering that you are going through as a result of your sin or the sins of those around you. And I desire for you to be healed. I desire for you to experience life in a new way and to move forward. Because then after he, of course, accepts this woman, he says, woman, has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He then follows it up with a challenge, with an exhortation, with a calling. Our Lord at every moment always did this. He accepts those marginalized on society. We can even look among the disciples themselves. They may have also recognized that he accepts them. Fishermen and a tax collector. Butcher men who smell like fish and tax collector who would have been considered the lowest of the low. He accepts them as they are, calls them. But then he does indeed call them, come follow me. Because that is ultimately what challenges. It's not a rebuke. 
It is not a sort of disenchantment or dismemberment of our being, but instead it is a call that we all feel. That yes, we desire to be accepted, we also desire to be pushed. I know one of the most frustrating things in my life was that oftentimes people did not challenge me. People just simply allowed me to get average grades, and I kind of resented them for it. I think the same thing can happen to us. Our Lord loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He desires more, and he desires great things for you. So our Lord accepts, he challenges and calls, but then also we see him do something throughout the gospel, which I think is also immensely important, and gives us an insight into what many people and many of the bishops have noticed, especially as we have a call to a renewed Eucharistic piety, that is, to teach. Our Lord, throughout the Gospels, the disciples were called to mind, where our Lord gives his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. And also, of course, the Bread of Life discourse, where he gives his hard teaching on the Eucharist as truly his body, blood, soul, and divinity, as the very essence of his being, and will continue to be his presence in the world even after he leaves them at the ascension. Teaching. It is absolutely necessary for us to instruct one another, for me to instruct you as a pastor, as a priest, but then also for us to instruct one another. So many people today do not know, do not know the kernel of the truth of what our Lord's love truly looks like. Because what does his love look like? His love looks like most especially, is found in his passion, death, and resurrection. People do not realize that we are all dead in sin, originally, by the sin of Adam and Eve. And they do not know that Christ came to die for their sins, so that they might have eternal life and have it to the full. Those simple three things people do not recognize. But yet, it is up to us to instruct them. It is up to us to lead them to that point. How many of our loved ones, myself included, have fallen away from the faith, do not recognize that simple kernel of truth, which is at the core of Christianity, at the core of Catholicism? Do we share that with them? That we are sinners, me too. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. But then also recognize that Christ died for our sins, for each and every one of our sins. What in the world? He did that for me? He did that for you? What a crazy love that is for each and every one of us. So teaching. But then also one of the harder parts that we have to, that I also see, at least for myself, and I experienced the Lord give this to me on, well, <laughs> a very, very regular basis. His love also corrects. Remember whenever Peter testifies, who do people say that I am? And they give a whole list, and then Peter says, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon you I will build my church. What a great exaltation of Peter. But then Jesus immediately goes into the fact that he's going to be crucified and die. That is what he's going to Jerusalem for. And like so often we like to do whenever we talk about the pain, suffering of this life, whenever we talk about the reality of Christ's passion and death for our sakes. So when people scoff and say, don't talk about that. People don't like it. 
And Peter does the same thing. Lord, that surely will not happen to you. So he rebukes our Lord. And what does our Lord say to him? To his best friend in this life. Get behind me, Satan. Strong language for a man who loves. It is because his love is intense. He wants to point out his folly, his mistake, and wants to call him back. You're not thinking as God does, but as men do. We have to be willing to accept this as well. You're not thinking as God does, but as men do. How often do we put on the way of the world's thinking? Do we truly put our Lord first? And I think that is important for us to reflect upon. And I think this is something I've had to learn too, that many of the most loving acts that people have done for me in my life have been correction. I can remember my college seminary rector calling me out my senior year because of my kind of like separation from community life. He told me, I need you on my team. Stop acting against me. And he was right. It was one of the most loving things anyone has ever done for me. So I think we also have to learn that correction, challenge, is not a bad thing. It's not something to beat ourselves up over, but instead it is an opportunity for us to turn around and follow him. Just as Peter had that other opportunity whenever he wanted to leave Rome, where he realized that persecution was getting close to his doorstep. And the Lord encountered him and said, well, I'm going to go to the cross if you're not going to. So Peter walked, turned around, and went back. We too need to accept that challenge, that correction. But then finally, the crowning act, the crowning action of love is what stands at the center of our faith. It's the reality that stands at the center of our faith of what I just mentioned, the kernel, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. What does our Lord ultimately come to do? He comes to sacrifice himself for you and for me, for the sins of the world. It's the greatest part and the thing that the disciples at this point in the gospel would not have recognized, but certainly in the weeks and days following this particular Last Supper discourse, would have recognized that love sacrifices. Christ offers himself up as the new Paschal Lamb for the new Israel for those who are baptized into his death and resurrection. He offers himself for you and for me. So love sacrifices. He sacrifices himself. And of course, at the cross, isn't the first time our Lord sacrifices. It is the crowning achievement of his sacrifice. But throughout his life, he had to sacrifice his time. We see him sacrifice sleep. We see him sacrifice time and time again to spend more time with his disciples to help them understand what he is doing and who he is and what he has come to do. Love sacrifices. And we too can imitate this in little ways. Most of us, at least for myself, are not ready for martyrdom, are not ready for a real cross. But we can begin taking steps in that direction by little sacrifices. Biting your tongue wherever you want to react to a particular harsh comment that a spouse, a child, a parent, co-worker said to you, bite your tongue and return a blessing instead. The dishes that are piling up in the sink, do them. The different points in which you know that a friend is struggling, pick up the phone, call them, how are you doing? 
What do you need from me? Do you want to go get a beer? The little sacrifices we can make for one another, of our time, of our attention, can be transformative. And they can begin to lead us to the point to where, yes, perhaps even we, by God's grace, could offer our lives in martyrdom. Love sacrifices. It is the crowning achievement of love. And then also recognize in sacrifice, not simply we lose something. Because what does sacrifice do at the cross? It leads to new life and the resurrection. It opens up eternity for us. So true sacrifice always leads to new life. It opens new opportunities and new doors. That is what it does in little and big sacrifices. That is the reality of what love does. And so at the kernel of it, we must again and again see that by those little sacrifices, those big sacrifices that certainly parents get, who give up weekends, sleep, and so many other things for their children, a dent in their lifestyle, and so many other things, that we can be transformed by that act of sacrifice, recognizing that love accepts, love corrects and challenges, love teaches, but ultimately love too sacrifices for the sake and the good of the other. May we recognize and be grateful for what our Lord has done by sacrificing himself for us, but then also learn to imitate him who has gone on before us with the promise of life eternal that he has given to each of us, his children.